Welcome into the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host Tim Dennis. You know, lately on the show, we've been uh, we've been covering some fictional crime books out there, some some crime fiction, and I've been on a crime fiction kick lately because I'm finding some good stories out there, folks. I've been mining some really good books out there, and I found a good one out there for you guys to read today. The Spy Coast is a book that absolutely enthralled me. I had a good time reading this book this past week. And I want to introduce you today to Tess Gerritsen, who has has absolutely crafted a genius story. The Spy Coast absolutely grabbed me from beginning to end. And I wanted to get into it today with Tess and, and talk a little bit about the Spy Coast and, and talk a little bit about her in particular. She's got an interesting story as well. So I want to get into it with her and 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 tell you a little bit about Maggie and her character behind Maggie Porter and where the inspiration for Maggie Porter came up and the whole spy game in particular, especially when you find out Maggie's background. Let's talk a little bit about Maggie, er, about Tess first. I almost said Maggie. Uh, talk a little bit about Tess. She's an award-winning and best-selling author. Tess has written 30 books that have been published in 40 countries and sold more than 40 million copies. Many of her novels have been top three bestsellers in the U.S. here and number one bestsellers abroad. Critics around the world have praised her thrillers as pulse-pounding fun, scary and brilliant, and polished and riveting prose, with Publisher Weekly naming her the medical suspense queen. She's the daughter of a Chinese immigrant and a Chinese-American seafood chef. Tess Gerritsen grew up in San Diego and dreamed of writing her own Nancy Drew novels, but her family encouraged her to pursue a career that they thought would be more viable. I know my parents did that too. It, it, I wouldn't be here if, if I followed my parents' wishes, I'm sure, uh, or my grandparents' wishes. She graduated from Stanford University and went on to medical school at the University of California, San Francisco. See, that's where I would have went too. So we have some medical talk to do here, Tess, where she earned her MD. While on maternity leave from her work as a physician, Gerritsen began to write fiction, and in 1987, her romantic suspense novel, Call After Midnight, was published, followed by eight more romantic thrillers. She also wrote a screenplay, Adrift, which aired as a 1993 CBS Movie of the Week starring Kate Jackson. Gerritsen made her New York Times bestseller debut with her first medical thriller, Harvest, in 1996, and went on to write many more bestselling books. Her series of police procedurals featuring Boston homicide detective Jane Rizzoli and medical examiner Maura Isles inspired the TNT hit television series Rizzoli and Isles, which starred Angie Harmon and Sasha Alexander. In 2021, she co-authored with Gary Braver, Choose Me, which is an Amazon Charts bestselling standalone thriller. The Spy Coast is out now, November 2023. We have a link to it in the description of this program. And we're going to talk to Tess Garrison right now. Tess, welcome in to True Crime oh. Tuesday. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk about this particular book because it's, it's uh, not a book that I expected to write. And it's not a book anybody expected me to write. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Why, why is it... Uh, why is it a book that people didn't expect you to write? What is it about the Spy Coast that just came out of you? Well, you know, I've, I've been writing crime fiction for a long time. Everybody knows me because of Rizzoli and Isles, yes. uh, yeah. which became a television series. And mm -hmm. that's what everybody wants. They want more Rizzoli and Isles. Well, this particular book um, came out of my own life uh, because I happen to live in this little town in Maine where the story is set uh, but under a fictional name. Um, and uh, and there's a story behind this particular story. Uh, 
I moved here 33 years ago. Um, my husband is a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. He opened up a medical practice and we're in this little town, 5,000 people. And he began to bring in new patients. You do a occupational history when you have a new patient and he would ask them what they used to do for a living. And he kept getting this answer. I used to work for the government, but I can't talk about it. And after about three times, he thought, who are these people? Um, It was a real estate agent who told us they're all retired CIA. I found out later that we had spies, two spies on my very short street that I used to be living on. Um, The parents of my son's good friend were retired um, married spies who served in Vietnam. And um, it just seemed like it was the worst kept secret in Maine because everybody I talked to says, oh, yeah, they're all around us. They're everywhere. Um, and the question came up, why Why did they move to Maine? Why do so many of them live in Maine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have a lot of explanations. Um, one is that um, it's far from any nuclear targets. Another is that this used to be a place for safe houses. So if they wanted somebody to quietly disappear for a while, they would send them up to Maine. And so they became acquainted with the beauty of this area um new englanders especially up in maine we mind our own business we don't we don't pry and i think they felt that they could keep their privacy up here mm-hmm. um and then you know it's there's a it's a beautiful place no wonder they would want to settle down here after they've finished their very interesting lives you know tess i don't know if you've ever seen the the tiktok series about ask a former spy about certain things have you seen the, the there's a daughter no. that does this with her father no okay <laughs> I, I i if i can I'll, I'll send your agent the link if i can find it um okay but there's there's a daughter who interview interviews her father and it's ask a former spy certain questions and it's generally three questions per per tiktok and he opens up and he's very candid about certain things. And one of those is exactly what you just said. A lot of spies will will settle in areas. And he answers the question, three different areas he would settle in. And one of them was Maine, interestingly <laughs> enough. And and the reason why, just like you, you stated, there's no nuclear facilities anywhere. Um, but I'm surprised at the amount of information he was forthcoming about. Because there's there's like 30 or 40 of these videos where he comes out and he talks about different things. Like, he is afraid about the state of the world coming up in the next even five years. He, he makes no qualms about it. Five years to ten years, he's really afraid of where the world is going. Um, but he doesn't state the threats. I'm curious because you've said that there are these different spies that that live around you as you're, as you're working on this fictional novel, as you're doing your research, are these spies as forthcoming as forthcoming as, as they are in, in this TikTok video? Are they, are they talking to you about things they fear? Well, you know, we're an interesting area because we also have retired state department. Okay. Um, a lot of, a lot of former diplomats live up here as well. I mean, kind of, they're sort of the same tribe in a way. Yeah. Um, they did the same things. And we're also unusual in that we have um, every year we have what's called the Camden Conference, which is a huge international conference. People from around the world, intelligence people, government people come to our little tiny town to do a conference that is open to the public. Um, so, yes, I get to hear their thoughts because they're on stage talking about world affairs and they're everybody is really worried. And I think 
yours, the spy on this TikTok uh, show is uh, is reflecting what everybody's concerned about. The world does. It feels like we're on this tipping point now. It's not just climate change that is that is changing right. countries. It's it's the rise of this populism. Um, people want a strong leader, it seems, and they don't care what freedoms they give up. They just want a strong leader. Um, and so it's it's almost as if we're on we're on the verge of dictatorships everywhere. And that's yes. what I hear. Um, my very uh, intellect, intellectually and and uh, internationally based people, um, they're all afraid. And I think Maine feels like a safe place. But in truth, there is no safe place in the world when things go to pot. You're absolutely right. And that's exactly what a lot of these former spies have said. And in fact, we had a former State Department spy that was on that wrote a book. Uh, I'm trying to remember what her name is. Um, but she was on a little less than a year ago. And she said the exact same thing, that there, there is this rise in, as you put it, people looking for a strong leader, not caring what, what freedoms they want to give up, as you so eloquently put it. And again, that yeah, they do. They there's there's it's very scary right now. It's it's very scary. The extremism that that's, that's it. That's yeah. the, the way to put it. There's an extremism right now in the world. It's not just it's not one country or another. It's all countries right now. Mm-hmm. There's an extremism and, and in the world. hatreds. The yes. hatreds are yeah. just. I mean, it's almost as if they're boiling up from things that from places we didn't know existed. Yes. Partly, I blame our media. I think our media wants they want eyes on their TV shows, so they yeah. they they tap right into our emotions, and they sometimes the emotions they tap into are the very worst part of us. Right. Um, right. So, so we are seeing that, and I'm sure not only you know the CIA, but the State Department and law and and the FBI, they're all very concerned about where the country is going. Right. And, and if anything, at, at this particular time, when you see such extremism and you see such division, now is the time, if any, where we should be really preaching about the things we have in common, the things that we really, we share, the things we love, the things that we, you know, we want to get together and, 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 and really talk about and have a closeness. I mean, this is when we should be coming together. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't get you ratings. Unfortunately, no. You know, I mean, there's, you know, you think about programs like this where, and I mean, crime, crime, crime is a funny thing. You know, I mean, there's a morbid fascination, yeah. but look at the huge audience behind true crime and, and even crime fiction and the people who enjoy it. I, I enjoy is maybe a morbid word, but the, the people who are fascinated by it, I'll put it fascinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that audience, if you bring them together, it's it's strange how there is a camaraderie around it there you know it's funny you're right people who love true crime and crime fiction they are an oddly peaceable bunch yes <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean a lot of them are they're they're the, the, like the least violent people you can imagine maybe exactly. because they get it all out by right by reading crime fiction um they're not the ones that are going to go around um you know trying to overthrow the country i think right. they're the ones that are just they want i think crime readers and um they, they want to look at the psychology behind why people yes. do terrible things yes they're uh, they're probably more intellectual they're probably uh, better educated mm-hmm. um and um I, I just if i had to live in a community of people where i would feel safe it would be crime crime writers and musicians i kind of feel like that would be okay <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah you're you're absolutely 100 right um and and former spies I would want to live uh, <laughs> uh, among former spies too, uh, simply because they, they not only have they seen everything and they're jaded to everything, 
but they always seem prepared. There's this preparedness that goes one step beyond, I think, what you actually need, but at the same time, not in a weird, bizarre way. You know what I'm talking about? You know, not the, not the, you know, end of the world scenario, but the, you know what, you need this, but we're going to go one step further just in case, you know, you have to be a good chess, a chess player. That's what they are. Yes. A chess player. So they, they've got, you know, their four moves down the line and then a fifth move just in case you need it. Yeah. 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 You put it eloquently test. Um, so you've got these spies that live around you and it's inspired the book. You've got, you've got a husband that's a medical doctor. Now you were pushed down the, the road at one time, right? To, mm-hmm. and, I, I practiced medicine for a couple of years. I, I'm, a, I'm specialized in internal medicine, uh, but I haven't practiced it since I moved to Maine. <laughs> it's been okay. a long time. Oh, so as the diabetic, I shouldn't pick up my, my Gatorade in front of you and drink it? <laughs> well, I was wondering what you were drinking over yeah, there. <laughs> sorry. It's, my sugar is a little low today. Um, uh, but uh, so, uh, which is interesting. You know, when, when, I was, when I was younger, my great-grandmother was applauding me when I said I was interested in medicine. And I think she'd probably be disappointed I'm a broadcaster um, and have been for 35 years. But I, I had a I, I had a true love of wanting to be in medicine for a long time. That's always something that intrigued me as well. But I, I have to ask you this on a personal level. The the difference between let's say dissecting a human and dissecting a good story, where's the where do you draw the bridge? What is the what is the difference and what's the similarity? Well, they both have intellectual similarities in that you're you're using your mind uh, mm-hmm. for both. Um, I think the difference between medicine and and novel writing is very much emotional. I mean, medicine you're really trying to to be an intellectual. You're trying to, as you said, dissect things in a logical way. You're trying to be Mister Spock in a way and figure out what's wrong with this patient. When you are writing a novel, you're you're trying to figure out. What is the patient feeling? You mm-hmm. know, what 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 are the emotions that are going through them? And it, as opposed to objectivity, you are being as subjective as possible because that's the only way you can describe a character is really getting into their head and figuring out what they're what they're feeling and what are their emotions and um and and what are all the things that that can go wrong. You want to make things go wrong in a novel. You don't want to make things go wrong when you're practicing medicine. Right. Oh God. Please don't. <laughs> I've had plenty of things go wrong in my life, Tess. I don't. I don't want anything go to go wrong when I'm at the doctor. Um, I, I tell you what. I want to take our break early here, and and the reason being is I want to jump into into the Spy Coast. I was really enthralled with this story, and I tell you why. There, there's there's layer upon layer upon layer with this story. And what you do so brilliantly with the Spy Coast, and and again, no spoilers, no spoilers. Um, but you, what you do different than any other author is you start to, you know, you start to build this onion and then you unpeel it and and it's, it's, um, it's, it's just so wonderfully layered and you don't start, you don't necessarily start the novel with the main character. You start the novel with, I don't even want to say that. I don't even want to give away anything at the beginning of the novel, but but it starts out it's, it starts with a bang. It's like an action thriller. It's like, you know, boom, we're we're into it already. But we're wondering why we're starting at this point. We're starting with immediately someone being attacked. You know, and it's a woman that's being attacked. And we're we're in it. We're we're right in the middle of the spy game. We're we're there. And 
things start developing. And then we get introduced to Maggie. And, and we'll talk a little bit about Maggie, who she is when we come back, and why it is that she's at this certain point in life. She's, at the, the, she's retired from the spy game when we meet her. And her neighbors and why she's chosen to be where she is. And the people in her life. And as you said, she's in this town in Maine where there are these retired spies. And it's kind of a quirky little town. I, I love this town. I'd, I'd love to live in this town. Um, but what's funny is nobody else in the town knows they're, they're, they're spies. So they're retired. Which I have to ask you in real life before we go to break. Do the people in your town know that these are retired spies that live in this town? We know they're here. Sometimes we know who they are. Um, oftentimes they will just say they, as I said, work for the government. And you okay. really don't know what that means. Um, most of the time when I find out somebody's a spy, it's, it's because their child mentions it. Oh, no, really? <laughs> oh, or they're grown children. You know, they'll say, oh, yeah, my dad was a spy or my dad got killed in Africa because he was working for the CIA. So, I mean, we, we hear we hear rumors and we okay. also hear rumors about their lives and what they do in cocktail hour, you know, and that they get together and they, they can talk. Um, but mostly, you know, you can, you can put two and two together. The people who get up at the Camden Conference and ask these very, very sophisticated questions, you know they're either State Department or they were CIA because you can hear it in their expertise. Wow. That's got to be incredibly hard. I, I would think not just to be a spy, but a spy with a family. You would assume most spies would live a lonely life with either a spouse if they had a spouse or just by themselves, because when you live that life, you compromise everyone around you. Yeah, but, you know, most most spies don't actually live dangerous lives. It's a, a lot of it is, you know, unless they're, you know, they're they're non-official cover, then, yeah, they could get into trouble. They could actually end up in a prison or executed. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part. They would probably consider their jobs like everybody considers their job. It's a job. Yeah. They have families, they have children, and then they retire and they come home to their pension. Um, and a lot of them are overseas just waiting for the days when their pension kicks in. Um, so, you know, well, we think of James Bond, but uh, these are these are our neighbors. They just happen to be a little brighter and a little more accomplished than a lot of us. I wonder what the most... Un Unglory, is that a word, unglorious spy is that you could possibly get? I mean, I, I, you know, most people would say computer hacker or, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. but well, yeah, okay. The worst is probably an analyst sitting at a desk all day in yeah. Langley. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're not the ones out in the field. They're the ones that are that are analyzing stuff and trying, trying to predict um, all the horrible things that might be happening. Yeah, you're right. That's probably it. I mean, they're they're out of the field. They're at a desk, and they're probably in no danger whatsoever of being confronted by a, an enemy. Right, unless uh, the enemy finds out who they are and tries to tries to get them to work for them or get turned. Um, True. But and you know I, what I didn't want to write in this book was a, a girl James Bond. That's what I was trying to avoid. I didn't want someone who's running around the country, the, the world with a gun and shooting people, because that to me is like, you know, action is not as interest, interesting to me as, as you said, the unpeeling of the onion. Right. Um, I'm a big, you know, a Le Carre fan. And I love that, that sense that 
what you see is not really what's there, that everything is a mirror and there are halls of mirrors and mm-hmm. who's who do you trust and who do you not trust? So uh, rather than, and there is action in the book, but that's not the primary reason I think people are going to read it. They're going to read it to find out what is it like mentally and emotionally to be in this profession, to not trust people. Oh, and you accomplished that. I, I didn't mean to mislead people by saying we start off right away with action. What I, what I meant is that you're just dropped in the middle of it, but then we come to Maggie, and and that's where the development really begins, and that's where and yeah. that's where we're brought in. It's a, the slow on peeling of the onion, as yeah. you said. Yeah, uh, you know, who is she? And and of course, you, you know, there's another. Well, we can talk about it later, but there is another right. character in this book. Besides, there are two women who are primary characters in this book. One is Maggie, who now goes by the name of Maggie Bird, and she's a chicken farmer. Um, but there's also the local chief of police, acting chief of police, a woman who's in her thirties, named Joe. Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. And that 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 relationship between these two women, the person who's from Maine and lives in Maine, has always lived in Maine, and then this group of retirees who've lived around the world and can't really talk too much about their professions. So there's some conflict there between the young woman and the older women. Right. So uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Maggie, we'll talk about Joe, and we'll talk about this town in Maine, this wonderful town of Purity, Maine, and and what keeps it so pure and what threatens to keep it from staying pure. We'll do that when we come back. Our guest is, uh, is Tess Gerritsen. And again, it's a brilliant book. I encourage you to, to get it. It's called The Spy Coast. We have a link to it in the description of this program. Get it right now during the break. When we come back, more with Tess Gerritsen right here on The Best in True Crime Podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the Best in True Crime Podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is Tess Gerritsen. The book is The Spy Coast. We have a link to it in the description of this program. And when we last left you, we were talking about a few different characters that are in The Spy Coast. We were talking about Maggie Bird. We were talking about Joe, who's the police officer that's trying to unravel what's happening in Purity, Maine, and why Purity is not so pure anymore. And there's some ancillary characters that are in this town of purity maine now tess maggie has decided to settle on a farm called blackberry farm after her days of uh mainly being in istanbul right in istanbul and and working undercover as an importer exporter kind of in the fashion industry correct Yes. <laughs> An import analyst. And actually, import that, analyst. that's a real thing. Okay. Import analyst. Yes. Okay. So how, let me ask you this first before we go any further. How How is it that you came across this particular uh, occupation? What, where did you draw this from? Um, you mean the spying part? No, the, the actual occupation of, of uh, oh, exporter of Maggie, in, the, in fashion. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I was looking at what are, what kind of, what kind of cover occupations would serve uh, a spy very well? And there are a couple that are well known. For instance, academics—you know, people mm-hmm. who are professors—they—they're um, set up to be pretty good spies because they are dealing. You know, they're working with students. They're—they're they're around. They're dealing with um, with uh, political issues just as professors. But there's another one um, that I had thought about, and and it was it was an import analyst. And these are people that. Um, have to work with products from abroad. Um, so they'll go to, they'll, they'll do tractors. They'll look at, 
they'll look at fashion, they'll look at fabrics, and they're supposed to fill out all the import forms so that that can be exported to the United States. Ah, okay. But in that process, they're going to meet a lot of local people, and they're going to be able to maybe cultivate a couple of assets. Ah, okay. Well, that makes sense. So Maggie has moved to Purity, Maine. She's she's bought this farm. She's in this town where everything should be nice and quiet. There, there's no one to disturb her. She's found a wonderful neighbor that keeps to herself, an older gentleman who has a young young granddaughter who she's kind of taken a shine to. Um, although she doesn't say too much to them, they don't say too much to her, but it's a friendly, friendly, uh, you know, uh, relationship. Um, she's not a big fan of his coffee, which I think is hysterical. Um, but she's, uh, they, uh, they get together. Um, they both have, they both raise chickens. You'll, you'll find out more in the book. Uh, it's a beautiful relationship though. I love the relationship between the, the neighbors. The neighbors is, are, are a great relationship. And she's loving her little life in Purity, Maine, which is great. It's great to read that that in a hectic life that you would have as a spy, she's come to find serenity and peace. Which you finally you 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 can feel that exhale. You can feel that giant breath, but it doesn't last very long. No, it doesn't, because um, uh, a dead body ends up in her driveway. <laughs> and she does, this body is of a woman who uh, is clearly is a, is um, connected to Maggie's previous job as a, as a CIA agent abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Maggie understands what this is all about. It is a warning. It's a calling card from her past. The reason she left the agency was because her final operation ended tragically. It it, uh, destroyed her life, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And she didn't want to look back. But now she is forced to look back because her life is in danger. And she needs to call on friends to help her out because she can't do this by herself. And it just so happens she does have a circle of friends in Purity, Maine. They get together for potlucks and for book clubs, and um, they are also retired agents. They can they can keep each other's secrets. They don't tell each other everything, but they know uh, they know each other and who they are. Um, and this ends up being called the Martini Club because that's what they drink when they get together for their book group. Um, so here we are. We have a, we have Maggie, who's had a wonderful, you know, quiet retirement um and she's pulled back into the game and she does not want to go what i love about the book group is they rarely get to the book there's a lot of gossip there um (laughs) there's a lot of martinis so you gotta love that um that they all get together and they all prepare a dish that they've they've expertly uh kind of curated from their travels so it's it's always and they it seems like they all have a taste for different chiles from different areas or curries that they've gotten from different areas so there's always some exotic dish they've learned to 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 make from different areas uh and well, have- you know, that, that comes from living abroad i think if you were if you lived in thailand for a while yes you're going to you're going to bring thai food to your to your sure. potluck same with if you lived in turkey yep so yep that that was that was one of the fun aspects of of this is okay what dish would i bring if i was yeah. you know eh, you yeah. know spending all my time in hungary yeah <laughs> yeah and so some of the dish i i actually got really really hungry reading this book because <laughs> there were some wonderful dishes that were in this book um, but they, they, 
but they get together and you could tell they're 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 really good friends, really old friends. But the thing that creates tension among the group that I love about this test is they can trust each other to a point. Mm-hmm. And there's this tentative trust, tentative trust, because you never can truly trust somebody 100% in the game. There's always there's always a point where somebody can get burned and somebody yeah, can turn and, on the other. And she and she can't help um, verifying things, you know? Right. These are people she's known for 30, 40 years. And um, there's a killer who's been tramping across her, her snowy field mm-hmm. and her friends come to help her track it. And she can't help looking at their footprints as well to make sure they don't match the killers. I mean, these people she's known forever, but it's second nature to her to verify. Right. Um, is it Ben and Declan? Were those the two? That, ben and Declan, yeah, yes. When, when they come to, to help her in her time of need, this, like you said, this killer is trying to shoot at her when she's in the chicken, chicken house um, and feeding chickens. It's a scary scene, folks. It really is. It's, it's a scene that, that is just, it grips you because you can feel what to you is fear. To her, it's a measured situation. It really is. It's, it's a matter of you can feel her measuring out and, and through her head logically figuring out where she needs to go. But in your heart, you're like, <gasps> you know, you can in, in your situation, you know, you'd absolutely be, <laughs> pardon my language here, Tess, you'd be crapping yourself. I mean, you know, yes. if you had this many shots being fired at you, you probably would have gone down by now. But in her situation, she's clear-minded, clear-thinking, and knowing what she has to do in the next step. Not saying there's no fear there. Not saying that she's not somewhat scared. But there's clear-thinking, clear-measured, here's what I need to do, here's what I've got, and I just have to wait this guy out. You know, or you know, he'll, sooner or later, somebody will know. Not going to tell you how the scene ends. But... Ben and Declan eventually come along and as they do come along, they want to see what the crime scene looks like. And as you've mentioned, Tess, in that moment, they're, they're looking, they're tracing back the killer's or potential killer's footsteps. And she notices that the killer, or they notice that the killer's foot or imprint is a size eight. And she notices that they're wearing size 10 shoes. So in that moment, she can take a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's one of the um, the drawbacks of being in the intelligence industry mm-hmm. is that you don't trust you all. And I mean, even your own spouse. And and this is something that she's going to have to deal with the man she marries in this book. Can she trust him? So um, I I think that it would be a hard life to live. I think it'd be really really difficult. I'd make a terrible spy, by the way. I, I wouldn't be able to 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 tell the the lies that they do. Um, but it it was an interesting experiment to get into their heads and try and imagine the world as they must see it. A complicated world, a world where you always feel like crisis is on the horizon. Yeah, that, that's a hard way to live. It is, and you know the entire book, the entire theme of trust goes throughout this book it weaves in and out not only trust but trust betrayal and can you put your best foot forward when asked to do something that betrays your morals your very moral fiber your moral compass 
and something that Maggie's never been asked to do before, you know, because she's never put herself in that situation. She's never put herself into a deep situation or a deep moral decision. It's interesting. And I, I, I want to kind of just scratch the surface a little bit with this test. And that is, I want to talk about Danny. I want to talk about her, her husband. Um, and I want to start with the beginning of their relationship. Um, because it was just supposed to be a fling. It was just supposed mm-hmm. to be a, a harmless little, you know, they, they meet each other in Bangkok. It's supposed to be just, a, you know, they, they end up having a, a bowl of soup and it's just a harmless little, you know, he's kind of, he looks kind of scraggly. She doesn't know what to make of him. He ends up ordering the same thing she does because he doesn't really understand the language. Is, it, is, that, is that how no. it goes? It's- He's a tourist. <laughs> yeah, he's a tourist. And and so, you know, she she kind of takes pity on him. There's really nowhere to sit. She invites him over, right? And is that a setup or not? That's the question. Yes. Yeah. And so she she kind of says, you know, as she's sitting there eating her soup, she kind of you don't know if she's taking pity on him or if it's loneliness or it's really attraction, but she decides, you know what, I'm here for a few more days. Why not? You know, yeah. I need a buddy, right? She's, she's a freewheeling woman. She's unattached. Mm-hmm. She's independent. And um, and she's in a foreign country. You know what it is? In, in whatever sta- happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, it kind of feels that way in Bangkok. Yeah. Whatever happens yeah. in Bangkok stays in Bangkok. Um, and she thought, well, okay, he's a good-looking guy. He's lonely, too. Let's, let's just get it on. And it was never meant to be more than, uh, you know, one or two-day fling. Um, but as sometimes these things happen, um, it ends up going on. They go home. She realizes that was a pretty good fling. Um, and they keep getting back together again. Um, and this is one of uh, one of the themes again. Do I trust this man? I mean, I, we met under completely innocent circumstances, but are they really innocent? Um, can I really trust him? And that's the re- the reader's going to have to come to their own conclusion as they're reading the book. Is Danny somebody you can trust? Danny is clearly um, a really, really seems like a really nice guy. He's a doctor. He, he, uh, you know, dedicates, he was dedicating his life to charity work. Is he as good as he, as he looks? And initially, I mean, he lays it on pretty thick. I mean, there's the, there's the postcards that he sends, you know, for the first, I mean, for more than a few months, he sends them. She doesn't really respond to him. You know, she lets him continue sending these postcards, which is very old fashioned. There's no email sent here. Until finally, he just kind of gives up because he figures she's not interested. And she finally decides, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll come to London and I'll see you. You know, and, yeah. and and then he's like, oh, oh, you're still interested, you know. And and so it was after he had really put forth that effort and he had really, really wanted to see her again. She was the one who played hard to get. And and then, yeah. yeah. And, and so he... He really was the the nice guy here. He really was the the aggressor and really wanting to to want her affections more than just that weekend. In fact, he was kind of disappointed that that it was only going to be a weekend. Yeah, but you know, um, she she doesn't. She's not stupid about this in a way. You mean, right. Because can get involved. They have to tell the agency. There has to be a vetting uh, by a third party, and she does that. 
she she has him vetted and everybody and and he gets the seal of approval. Go ahead, mm-hmm. you know, have your affair with this man. Um, so it's not as if she blunders into this relationship. She does it by the book. Right. Um, and right. has every reason to, to think that he is who he says he is. Right. So you would think that. OK, so so everything's good. Everything's good. Um, and then, again, without any spoilers, there's a job offer. <laughs> a mission offer. <laughs> a mission offer. Yes. Um, but it comes at a weird at a weird time. They, they go out to dinner. They, they, they go out to a nice dinner in London when she comes to visit, um, which is a little out of place for both of them because they meet in, in Bangkok at a, at a kind of a rundown place for soup. They're used to kind of lower means. Is that a good way to put it? Um, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of easy. Street food. Yeah. Street food. They're used to street food. Yeah. They're kind of used to uh, casual, casual interactions. And this is a really nice restaurant that they're going to. And what, what ends up being a, a medical emergency with a patron ends up with better opportunities for all. It changes, it changes Danny's life anyway. Now, all of a sudden he's, he's working for this concierge medical um, uh, company working, you know, as kind of a private doctor to some of the richest people in London. Um, and those, those concierges, I mean, they exist. Mm-hmm. Rich people, they want their doctor on demand. Um, and what this does is it opens up opportunities because now Danny is working with people who happen to be maybe Russian oligarchs, people with um, information that might be of use to the CIA. And that's the mission that Maggie has been tasked with is use your boyfriend, <laughs> use him in a way that helps us. And now that's her moral dilemma. Do I use this man that I'm actually falling in love with um, as part of my job? And I can't tell him. I can't tell him that I'm using him. So, um, yeah, it, it, oh, it's, an, it's a can of worms. Um, and she has to, in a way, choose between the, whether she loves this man or her job. And that's a good way of putting it. Do we want to talk about the, the one man that, he's, that Danny's working with that is, is extremely, extremely evil? <laughs> yeah, he's really scary. Um, but what they're trying to get at is they're trying to get at financial information of this one character who's a, who's Londoner. He's a Brit- He's an Englishman, but he may he may be um, somehow working in laundering money from Russia. Mm-hmm. And it's a little. I mean, we all, we've all probably heard of the London laundromat. There's there's a, it is a laund- It is a a washing machine in London where these really rich oligarchs have to find a way to legitimize the money that they're taking out of out of Russia. And they do it through launderers um, like this particular man. Um, so that's that's kind of the the whole system that Maggie has to infiltrate. It's a very dangerous system because as anybody who's been following the news knows, a lot of R- London bankers have ended up mysteriously dead in real life. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Pushed out windows. There's something about working with banking and Moscow that means you're going to die of a, of a fall off a window um, or a bullet in the head or something horrible. And that's um, that's kind of the, the dragon's lair that she has to she has to infiltrate. Yeah, it's not a it's not a kind system. In fact, one slip or, or one ounce of 
what looks like betrayal and, and you're out and you're out in a very cruel and unusual way. Um, even yeah. if you don't mean it to be in a, a betrayal, uh, it's, yeah. it's perceived so as such. That's a bit of, it's a bit of, um, you know, it's, it's real life. It's, it's current affairs that I tried to, to roll into this. And um, because so much of what Maggie was doing earlier takes place, maybe 20 years ago there, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was writing about was current back then as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, but unfortunately, the London laundromat uh, and money laundering uh, of money coming out of Russia is—it's still ongoing. That that has not gone away. It's a very dangerous, dangerous business, um, and un unfortunately, a lot of people have died, have been executed. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I tell you, it's uh, as it uh, as it progresses, it it gets more and more tense for Maggie. Uh, you you jump between modern day with Maggie and what she's dealing with, with being hunted down. You deal with another character in the book. We won't mention who it is, um, who is another lever in the device um, who has put Maggie in jeopardy in the past and in the present. <laughs> uh, we'll put it that way. Um, and you deal with her friends who are just trying to help Maggie, but in the, in the, in the meantime, they've been put in the crossfire as well. And it's tough for her to maintain, again, there's that trust, there's that loyalty, there's, but at the same time, as a spy, you want to have that trust, you want to, you want to have that loyalty, but you put them in danger when you have that. There's a, there's a brilliant, yeah. there's a Go brilliant ahead. scene in the beginning, almost the beginning of the book, I want to say the first third of the book, and it's heartbreaking. And, and you know, when, when she has to leave her farm after the, the, the hunter in the woods um, with the neighbor girl. And she want you know, the, the neighbor girl is asking her about her chickens and who's going to, you know, we can separate the chickens and we can, we'll take care of yours. And when you come back, you know, and she's, she's trying to eloquently put it to this little girl. Well, honey, they're yours now, you know, basically trying to tell her that I'm going to be gone. I don't know how I'm, how long I'm going to be gone. But it's okay. You can keep them. You can keep the money from them. I'll be back eventually, but I don't know when. But this this little girl is living with her grandfather because she's lost her mother. She's had that loss. And Maggie doesn't want to be another loss. It's especially, I think, difficult for Maggie because she has no family. She has no children. This little girl is kind of like a surrogate daughter for her. Uh, and she, you know, Maggie has, she has avoided attachments because some of the attachments in her life have been tragic, have been tragic. And so she doesn't want to deal with that kind of loss anymore. And here she's about to say goodbye to this little girl and maybe never see her again. Um, and yet Maggie has so, made an attachment yeah. to that little girl. She does. She yeah. tries not to, but she can't help it. Right. Um, I there's a line in there that says you, you don't you try not to make attachments, but every time your neighbor does something nice for you, every time your your neighbor girl brings over a, a pie or something, there's like one little thread that that gets that that's between you and you just you can't you know you can't help it. These threads start to develop, and all of a sudden you're tied to your neighbor with a rope because you you care about them, and that's that is unfortunate, but it's also wonderful. And um, she has to decide. Um, what do I do? Do I break that rope or, or, and, and, and just, you know, not deal with the loss or do I let it happen and, and, uh, and risk being in love or loving somebody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in that shooting, in that shooting from the woods in the chicken house, she, 
her neighbor is one of the first ones over. He he puts himself in danger and he's standing up like a target asking her, who are we fighting? And she's like, it's not we here. Get down. Um, you know, well, I, guess, I think that's the, the fun part about this is that all these all these people we're talking about, Maggie and her friends and, you know, her retired spies and her neighbor. We're talking about older people. Yes. These are all people older. in their 60s and 70s. So. So, um, yeah, they used to be young and healthy and they could go over an obstacle course. But now, you know, they're they're creaky and their joints are maybe aching. <laughs> But they've still got it. And that that's yeah. the fun part about it is is that yeah, they're they're tramping into the woods looking for a killer, but but they're but their knees are hurting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love that part about it too. Yeah. I can relate. <laughs> I that's that's the part I could relate about the most. Is I think if I had to chase down a killer in the woods, I'd I'd feel like that too. I'd feel like I'd want to take a nap in the middle of the woods after I got out there. i uh, I don't think I could do it. But uh, I could definitely sympathize. It, uh, there's some other chase scenes in there, too, where they'd mention they have to take a nap. Um, yes. <laughs> which, yeah, I could relate. Um, which makes it all the more uh, charming of, of a book as well. Uh, folks, I can't stress enough that um, you definitely want to pick up this, this book. Well, interestingly enough, we mentioned the naps and the fact that these, these, uh, these characters are older this is actually an AARP Big Fall book of 2023. Yes. Yeah. Did that surprise you? Did that shock you? Yeah, it's really quite wonderful because I I I belong to AARP, so I get their magazines. Um, But um, I I could not have written this book 20 years ago. I just couldn't have. I I think that it takes it takes the perspective of being uh, an older person Mm -hmm. and experiencing what it's like to kind of be pushed out of the mainstream because you have gray hair mm-hmm. or to be ignored. Um, and, and that's, that's what these people in my book are are dealing with right now. They're, they're ignored. Yeah. Um, they are put down because they're just old retirees, right? Who cares what they did? Um, we don't even want to know what they did. Um, but boy, they can, they can still outthink a younger person in this little town. <laughs> well, that's the important part. There's the experience there. And a lot of times experience will get you a lot further than physical ability will. Yeah. yeah, 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 and and they. I think there was there was one line in there where they're talking about the young cop, and they said, "Well, she can outsmart us, but she can outlast us." <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, but there's something to be said about being there before, you know, and and having having been in that scenario and being able to to outmaneuver. You know, you may not yeah. have the physical tools, but you know what? There's something to be said about about uh, being able to outmaneuver. In, in and every, you're you're never you're never too old to have an adventure. That's that's, right. that's the thing. <laughs> that's right. And you know, I I don't know about you, Tess, but is there something to be said too about appreciating being able to go around one more time? Is that something too? I mean, uh, if you know what I'm saying here, I mean, it, it seems to me like even though the situation is dangerous, you almost get the idea that when you go around one more time. And you're able to do it one more time. There's almost kind of like a, yeah, yeah, I can still do it type of feel to it. You appreciate things a little more, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the first time you went through, it was all new to you. And now you go back to Bangkok and you see the things that you didn't see before. You notice things. Maybe you pay more attention to that bowl of, of beef noodle soup that you <laughs> you had the first time around. I, I think that there's um there's a there's a real nice part about a nostalgic trip back to places that you loved. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know about you, but I I have a, a whole new appreciation for things at an older age than I, I ever did when I was young. I'm, you know, yeah. just to, whether it be a morning sunrise, being able to, you know, sit outside or being able to get around uh, to different places, uh, even though I don't get around as well as I used to, but being able just to get to those places, I have a, a better appreciation for it. So, so to be able to read this book and to, to be able to see that, uh, the, these, um, these elders are, are being able to, uh, to knock it out of the park is something else. So, so that's, that's what I appreciated about it. Um, folks, I, I strongly encourage you to go get this book, the spy coast by Tess Gerritsen. We have a link in the description of this program I thoroughly enjoyed the book, Tess, so I, and I appreciate you writing this book. Thank you. Thank you very much. Folks, it's time now for us to, we didn't really even have to lighten things up a bit here, Tess. It's been a, it's been a pretty light book. I mean, it's not a light book by any means, but it's a pretty serious book. But, but we're going to lighten things up a little bit now. Let's bring in Beer City Bruiser. It's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Crimes. It's, it's Crayon News Storytime. <laughs> What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's a time y'all look forward to, the time once again where we lighten things up. It's time for Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals, and back in the saddle again. Here he is, the co-host with the most, the BCB, the Big Cuddly Bear, Beer City Bruiser. How you doing, Bruiser? Oh, I'm recovering. I'm recovering really well. So I'm glad good. I'm glad the sex change went well. You look good. You look <laughs> Thank good. You. Thank no, you. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just uh, trying to stay with the trend. Well, you know, I mean, we're <laughs> we're all uh, we're all fluid these days, aren't we? So, oh yeah, yeah, I have, yeah. I have numerous trends. Yeah, oh, friends I've, and I've acquaintances and people I wrestle with and interact with on a daily basis. So, I've got a luscious set of man boobs. So, <laughs> I, you know, funny story. When I did the the, I, I, it'll be a quick story. When I did my very mm-hmm. first appearance on Raw, mm-hmm. it was for the Simon Dane. Simon I, Dean debut. I love that, by the way. I, I still it, watch it. It's the anniversary yeah. is in November. Yeah. Um, so everyone check the socials. I'm sure everybody will be posting it. Mm-hmm. But I had to go, when they found out that I could not only wrestle, but I could talk too. They're like, well, we got to give you lines. Mm-hmm. And so they had all these lines that we're coming up with and we're talking and they had to get approval. And they're like, well, let's go talk to Vince McMahon to get this approval about what you should wear. And, and all. I said, okay. So we go and we meet Vince. Now, mind you, that's just terrifying in, oh. in an instance. Oh, God, yeah. And Vince goes, well, do you mind taking your shirt off? So I'll, I'll do whatever you guys want. You're, you know, you're paying me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he goes, yeah. well, you know, kid, you got some bouncy man boobies there. And he starts playing <laughs> with my man boobs. I'm like, yeah, cool, <laughs> if you want to do that. And like the weekend before I'd gotten, or that weekend, actually, I had wrestled Chris Candido all weekend. So my chest looked like chopped liver because he chopped yes. me so much. Yeah. You can see it on the video. You can see it on the video. And yeah. I said to Vince, I said, you know, I, I wrestled all weekend and I got lit up. Like if I take it off, like this is what, and I showed him and he goes, oh, that's fine. We'll just, we'll call it gonorrhea or something. <laughs> and there's four people standing there along with myself. We're all kind of looking at each other like. Do we want to correct him that you can't get gunnery? Yeah, of the chest. <laughs> so Simon looks at me and goes, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, in fact, I sent that video to a friend recently who had asked about. Uh, they were watching. They were watching SmackDown and asked, "Has is Bruiser? What kind of work has Bruiser done in WWE?" They weren't familiar with your Ring of Honor stuff, so I, I, I sent Ring of Honor clips. Yeah, and I said, "Okay, well, here's the WWE extra work he's done too." Yeah. So I sent the Simon Dean clip, and yeah, I've got a lot of. I should just put my extra clips out there sometime, but I don't. Mm-hmm. So I've done it. I've done stuff with well that that's the clip that it was my first one. That's probably the most famous. Mm-hmm. And then my last one I ever did, I was the fake Bray Wyatt. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that one also people say, Hey, that was you. I'm like, Yeah, yeah, no, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I sent the picture of the the Bray Wyatt, fake Bray Wyatt um yep. deal yep. too. And so. then I have a couple matches and stuff like that. My favorite is I did one where I had to stop John Cena from getting to the ring, so security. Yes. yes, yep. And it's in Green Bay. So I have John Cena on one side of me and I have Vince McMahon on the other side of me. And the whole time Vince has his hand underneath my armpit trying to tickle me. <laughs> and I have to be serious because I'm trying to prevent these two from fighting. Here's Vince tickling me. And Cena's <laughs> pinching me in the gut and I'm like these guys really want this. <laughs> like, this is live, pal. Like, I'm not going to screw up. And then afterwards, Vince gave me an attaboy because <laughs> I didn't go. break. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, ex- see, see, you got to love it. You got to love that those guys are having fun at the same time that they're doing their job. You got to. You're yeah. on the road so much, you just have to have fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you scored major points at the same time. So you got to yep. love that. Yeah. Someday I'll have to reveal to our listeners all the funny stuff that I've done. Yeah. Just because you don't see it. Yeah. I'm talking like some of the hardest matches I've been in with the Briscoe brothers. There's been some unique commentary going on between the four of us. <laughs> we both, you know what? We're, we're actually, uh, and, and we're still going to do this episode. We're going to, we're going to talk about uh, the paranormal wrestling. And uh, I want to get, um, I want to try to get um, David LaGreca on from Busted Open and uh, hopefully Tommy Dreamer and, 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 um, and Will Thompson. And, and, and yeah. And bully, if we can get bully, bully's not really a paranormal guy. Well, yeah, yeah, he always makes yeah. fun of me for that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to get guys together that will talk paranormal, maybe some horror movies, and talk about the paranormal aspects of of wrestling. But I also want to get some good road stories in too. So, um, but I I I wanted to try to get that closer to Survivor Series and the oh, okay. the Thanksgiving aspect of things. So um, I'm still trying to line that show up. <laughs> so uh so we'll let you know when when how and when that all comes together so uh but we're talking dumb crime stupid criminals today and uh boy oh boy bruiser we got some stories here for you by the way listeners coming through huge again once again for for stories I almost feel bad uh, like that like i'm only pulling a few stories myself I feel like I'm not actually putting in work for this second. And the listeners are doing the rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually feel like I'm not putting in too much work. I do, don't get me wrong. I put in work for the segment. Yes. Um, but uh, getting getting lots of great responses from uh, from uh, I believe it was John and Tom and and uh, and uh, is it, it Tony and and there, there's a bunch of different listeners that are sending me stuff and and uh, I. I I can't keep all their names straight, so I, I apologize. But thank you to everybody who sent uh, articles this week. Um, but let's get to it. Let's get to it because uh, there's lots of good stuff here. Let's start with a woman who's accused of fatally poisoning her boyfriend with antifreeze after learning he was set to inherit $30 million. Oh, well, that's a good time to poison him. It is, yeah. <laughs> well, now, see, in my mind, I'm going for the big score. Did you win Powerball or Mega Millions? Yes. Because then there's a little bit more. 30 million, if you think about it in today's economy, not a lot of money. 
It's not, but you know what? You get that million, you put it in the bank, let the interest collect. You're still making a ton of money a year. True. That is true. Once the banks start failing, which they're in the process of doing, but then, then you start worrying. But right now, I think you're pretty good. Then I looked at the state this happened in, and $30 million in this state is like $120 million. Okay. Because it's North Dakota. Oh, yeah, you can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in a North Dakota, a dollar <laughs> still buys you something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 47-year-old North Dakota woman, Ina Thea Ken- Kenoyer, I had to make sure I was saying that right, has been accused of murdering her boyfriend by poisoning him with antifreeze after learning he was set to inherit $30 million. Now, I think she was... She should have waited till he inherited it before she actually tried to kill him. Yeah, she should. Well, I think she was just taking for granted she's in the will. Ah, she's like, yeah, he's my husband. If there he'll, is, he'll put me in there. If there is a will. I was going to say, if he hasn't inherited yet, I don't think he updated his will. Yeah. Per the New York Times, Tenoyer was charged with murder on Monday, October 30th for her involvement in the September 5th death of her boyfriend of 10 years, 51-year-old Stephen Edward Riley Jr. Authorities were called to their Minot home on September 4th, and Riley was taken to a nearby hospital where he died a day later. Oh, okay. So I think she got the job done. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. According to investigators, Riley had recently learned he was going to inherit as much as $30 million and was potentially planning to leave his girlfriend after claiming it. So he had no plans of sticking around, Bruiser. Yeah, he's like, I'm not sharing this money. I'm winning this money and I'm getting the F out. That's right. There are greener pastures in North Dakota, by God. And he just found them. Uh, when she spoke to police, Tenoyer claimed that he suffered a heat stroke. Oh, close. Oh, okay, okay. Heat stroke in the middle of September, not brilliant. In North Dakota. And clever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> September, North Dakota heat stroke, probably not. No. No. Uh, autopsy results, however, showed he died of ethylene glycol poisoning. An affidavit reveals that Riley's friends and family believe that she used antifreeze to fatally poison him, since the main ingredient in antifreeze is ethylene glycol. <laughs> in fact they said that she previously made comments about poisoning him with antifreeze Somehow, why would you make comments and then do it that's right away your suspect yeah. number your suspect number one anyways because you're you're the spouse or the involved party like you're right away that you got to clear yourself but why right. would you say that <laughs> yeah if you'd say oh, and then I'm... do it like you could say oh, i'm going to poison this guy and then you cut his brake lines okay now yeah, it's not on the same page right i was going to say yeah it's the rope-a-dope you do the yeah. you know you do the oh someday i'm going to poison him with antifreeze nudge nudge wink wink and then you turn around and push him off a cliff yeah and then you yeah. literally at the funeral go oh man they beat me to it i couldn't get my antifreeze on him that's right oh <laughs> i wish i would have given him that cocktail before he jumped off that cliff wink wink <laughs> yeah uh, some of Kanoyer's friends also said they saw her removing some of his belongings from their home the day he was poisoned. Well, that's a big <laughs> no-no. Uh, another friend told authorities that she was upset about Riley's alleged plans to leave her after getting the money. Oh, so he told well, her. I'd be pissed off, too. Uh, when speaking with investigators, she shared her belief that she was Riley's common-law wife, which I don't think they have in North Dakota. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And isn't it, you have to be, it's like, 10 years together or something? Well, I don't know. It's seven years for most common law if it's in that state. I was going to say it's state by state. Yeah, yeah. And would be entitled to at least a portion of the inheritance, which she would split with his son. So she's trying to go in with his 
family to split inheritance yeah. if she kills him. Yeah, like, hey, he died. Don't know how. Ignore my antifreeze comment. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to split this with this kid, and I'm going to take the rest. So he gets 15. <laughs> eh, he gets five. I get 25. We're good. Well, then there's taxes. Well, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's really not worth it. Uh, North Dakota is one of the states that does not recognize common law marriages, by the way. Witnesses stated that they wanted to obtain medical treatment for Stephen Edward Riley Jr., but Ina Thea Kenoyer was adamant that he was suffering from heat stroke. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm flabbergasted by this, and just needed to go home and rest after the airport. I, no. <laughs> It's not hot enough in September. Yeah. Uh, in North Dakota. I've been in North Dakota in September. It's not hot enough. No. <laughs> uh, read the affidavit, which added that Riley's friend, Wesley Torgerson, went to their property to see how he was doing, only to be told by Kenoyer that he was at a walk-in clinic. However, she went to local walk-in clinics and was told he was not there. Oh, she did her due diligence. Yeah. Authorities have since recovered a Windex window cleaner bottle from the couple's home, which is believed to contain antifreeze. Also recovered was a Coors Light beer bottle and plastic mug, which are both suspected of containing the substance. She wasn't slick about it. Why wouldn't you get rid of it? She didn't hide anything. No, no, she's not bright. That's why this is called Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminal. Well, exactly. No, I know that. (laughs) Uh, Kenoyer told investigators that heat stroke symptoms mimic poisoning and that he could have smoked a cigarette that may have fallen into antifreeze. (laughs) Jesus. So Uh, we're we're starting off today with a bang. I I hope you brought the other poisoning story that came up. I was going to send it to you, but we literally just about to get on the air. Which one was that? You don't have any more. Okay, so there was a lady who was married to her husband. It was an arranged marriage, and she hated him. She didn't want to be with him anymore, so she decided she was going to poison him. I don't know if I have this or not. There's this milk that he likes, so she poisoned the milk. Mm -hmm. Well, they had a family get-together, and the mother-in-law came in and made (laughs) – some some one of her dishes and <gasps> used the contaminated milk. Oh, the no. husband didn't eat anything of the meal. Mm-hmm. 27 other people did. Oh, no. 17 people died. No. <laughs> because yep, the husband's fine. Husband's free and clear. The wife's like, oops. <laughs> so now oh. she's in jail facing 17 counts of murder. Oh, geez. No, I don't think I have that story today. So when poisoning somebody, plan ahead. <laughs> yes, yes. Make sure you separate the contaminated ingredients. Uh, this story comes from another one of our listeners, California man with a 420 tattoo on his head, allegedly decapitated a relative and fleed with the head. No, it's because he wanted to get another 420 on that head, too. Yeah, you, you got a matching set. Yeah, he wants to look cool. Yeah. Some people, although, are not wanting to willingly come along for the tattoo. So to make <laughs> That's why he cut her head off. Yeah. <laughs> 24-year-old Louise Arroyo Lopez of California was arrested in San Francisco. Gosh. Uh, on Saturday morning. A California man with a 420 head tattoo was captured in San Francisco on Saturday morning after allegedly decapitating a female relative and likely fleeing with her head. Well. 
Uh, 24-year-old Luis Arroyo Lopez was taken into custody after being on the run since police in Santa Rosa discovered the headless body of a woman inside a home on Thursday, according to the Santa Rosa Police Department. Police said no details about Arroyo Lopez's arrest were immediately available. Police officers in Santa Rosa had had responded around 3.40 p.m. on Thursday to a home in the 500 block of I want to read this right because it looks different according to my screen. It's Pomo Trail. You know how sometimes the M sometimes looks like an R and an N? It almost looked <laughs> yes. like Porno Trail when I read it, but it wasn't. It, it's Pomo Trail having issues with that bad eye of mine. Uh, for a report of a possible homicide, arriving officers found a woman decapitated inside the home and noted that her head was not found at the residence. Now, that can be a problem when you're marking down evidence. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see here. We got one body, no head. Got the arms. Yeah, got the legs. Okay, there's a torso. Where's mm. the head? Mm. Who, who no head. took the head? Mm. <laughs> Boys, anybody see a head? And then one guy goes, I got head last night, Sarge. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he took the head. Oh, yeah. Doesn't get He's enough. so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna, oh, oh, I didn't <laughs> think of it that way. He's like, yep, I'm going to miss this when she's gone. <clears throat> it's either that or just shit beautiful eyes. Yeah, well, yes. He wanted to stare into them lovingly for the rest of eternity. <laughs> Investigators learned that Arroyo Lopez, who resided in Santa Rosa, was a relative of the victim and is alleged to have killed her before fleeing the scene, according to police. Relatives said the victim was the grandmother. Oh, no, it was the grandmother of Arroyo oh, no. Lopez. We take back the jokes, folks. Yes, all the jokes <laughs> are back. Oh, those were truly tasteless. Holy cow. <laughs> Once we holy, found out more information, we are now assholes. Holy cow. <laughs> oh my uh oh. yeah henry lee we, post we, apologize. we are issuing an apology right now <laughs> after fox 2 reporter henry lee posted that on x we now apologize that uh, we made grandmother jokes <laughs> in our defense we didn't know she was a grandma yet Holy cow. Yeah, that's why we don't jump. To, we shouldn't jump to conclusions and make those jokes. Uh, Royal Lopez, who has a large tattoo of 420 and a marijuana leaf on the left side of his head, was believed to have left the home with the victim's head, which authorities believed may still have been in his possession while on the run. Police, however, did not immediately say whether the victim's head was recovered following the arrest of a Royal Lopez in San Francisco. He may have passed the head off to somebody. I'll just say, where's the head? It's in the box. <laughs> what's in the box? <laughs> Tell me what's in the box. Arroyo Lopez has a violent criminal history, which includes jail time for assault with a deadly weapon and a weapons possession charge. Go figure. Yeah, I was going to say, that's shocking. Yeah. The charges were unrelated to the victim in the homicide incident, by the way. The 24-year-old was recently released from state prison and placed on post-release community supervision. They let this guy go go recently. Okay. <laughs> Additional, de yeah, from a previous charge. They were like, oh, yeah, go ahead. You won't do anything deadly. You'll be fine. Just yeah. go. Yeah, just go have a nice life. Additional details about the homicide and arrest of Arroyo Lopez were not immediately provided. Police said more information would be shared later. Like, uh, had he ever done this before? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, by the way. This past weekend was Twin Cities Con uh, okay. at uh, Minneapolis Convention Center. I want to thank the uh, the guys, the fellows over at uh, Granite City Comics. 
who uh, got me a pass to go over to Twin Cities Con this weekend. Oh, nice. They let me in as part of their crew. Very uh, cool. so, so I got to be a comic book dealer this weekend. That's kind of Ooh, fun. look at you. Yeah, well, I used to manage Sarlog over at the Mall of America for a while, so that was fun. Okay. So, so yeah, so uh, so Tim and, and Jay and the, and the fellows over there, I want to say thank you to them. Uh, so while I was there, I, I got uh, I got my pictures with, with Trish and Lita, Team Bestie. That was fun. Oh, they were there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, they were there. Okay, I was wondering where you got that picture, when yeah. you made your profile picture. Yep, that was, that was Twin Cities Con. And I got to meet Machete and get my picture with him. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Danny I heard he's a cool dude. Oh, dude, is he ever. Like, I really just want to have tacos and beer with him. Right? So, yeah. so I asked Danny, I said, uh, when is Minneapolis going to get a, 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 a Treo's Tacos, right? Yeah. And he looked at me like, <laughs> keep dreaming, fat boy. Um, <laughs> right, he gave me that kind of laugh. I guess it's only an L.A. thing for now. I was disappointed, to say the least. <laughs> but I could have bought, bought his recipe book. I'll probably buy it online. Just yeah. everything was cash only with him. That's a thing. I believe it. A lot of the stuff that we do and yeah. meet and greets are cash only. Yeah. So it, I just uh, you know it's and and the, unfortunately the the couple of days I was there the cash machines were all broken. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because the con. <laughs> yeah, because because kids evidently don't know how to hit the numbers properly on a cash machine. No, they just bash it. Yeah, they just, they hit it and go, more money! <laughs> and uh, they break the cash machine. So I wasn't able to get Danny Trejo's cookbook so I could cook his recipes at home. You can convince the young kids that that's the best slot machine in the business. Yeah. Or in the building. All they got to do is guess the four numbers. Yeah, yeah, and they win a prize. Yeah, I'd be like, here, give me your card. Okay, what are the four numbers you normally use? Yep. Look, I won. Yeah. I won 200 bucks. Yay, good for me. Yeah. yeah, but you know. Well, the next two uh, in 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 uh, honor of Danny Trejo, the next two stories have machetes in them. Oh, okay. Yeah, someone's been watching his movies a little too much, huh? Uh, me. <laughs> well, uh, whoever the criminal is. <laughs> well, it's in two different areas. One being Florida, because <laughs> you can't go to Florida without a machete. I guess I don't know. I. I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of them there. There's a lot of wild vegetation, right? Oh, yeah. You got to go through the Everglades and all that. So, of course, you got machetes everywhere. This, this I have a machete, and I'm, I'm, I've had a machete for years. Yeah, well, everybody should have one. I mean, not, not for nefarious purposes. This woman, by the way, looks like she probably wields one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, doesn't she? She's got that yeah. look. Yeah. She's one you don't cross. No, no. She just has that look like uh, someday I'm going to do something absolutely out of bounds. <laughs> yeah. please don't date me you will end up dead that she has yeah. that look yeah a columbia county woman attacks her boyfriend with a machete uh police say the weapon is still missing <laughs> probably because it's her prize machete i was gonna say she probably has it in like a safe mm -hmm. that when you open it up it's like the gates of heaven yeah oh, big gold light demons sing it's not angels by the way yeah it's demons you're right yeah. demons sing and <laughs> And then the, they sing, this is Halloween, and then they hand her the <laughs> machete and you run for your life. Uh, the Columbia County Sheriff's Office responded to the scene of an aggravated battery after the victim called 911, saying he was hit with a machete. I can't stop saying it like that. Uh, reports state that 911 dispatchers told officers that the woman identified as 28-year-old Alyssa Williams, her boyfriend refers to her as Satan, <laughs> stated that she was going to kill him and left the residence with the machete. 
uh, went Wait, off. So she hit him and then left. Yes. Tried so to... she just said she's going to kill him. She didn't actually follow through. Uh, well, she was going to split him down the middle like a walker, but I think she had to go <laughs> sharpen it first. I'm not sure. <laughs> Damn it. I forgot to sharpen this. Yeah. When officers arrived, the, uh, found the victim lying on the living room floor, bleeding profusely. Oh no, she hit him. Yep. She hit him. She hit him. Yep. Officers provided first aid and wrapped his arm with a bandage until me- emergency medical services arrived. Maybe she's been watching too much walking dead and thought he was bit. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah, and had to be amputated. I'm not sure. Or she's been watching too much TV where she thinks one machete strike, that's it, that kills him. Yeah, that could be. Arrest reports state that officers noted multiple lacerations on the victim's head and arm area. Oh, she thought he was a walker. Yep. She just went to town on him. Yep. He said that Alyssa Williams struck him multiple times with a large machete. Uh, moments before the physical altercation, he and Alyssa were engaged in a verbal argument because he told her to clean up items that were on the living room table. Maybe you should have said it nicely. Yeah, instead of, hey, bitch, clean that up. Like, hey, dear. Yeah. I honey, know you're having a rough day. Honey, Beelzebub, will you, <laughs> you please pick up the stuff on the floor? I'm having a hard time with my back today. Maybe that would have been nice. It's, yeah. It's, Can yeah. you stop playing with the machete for a little bit? Yeah. Clean this up. Yeah. I'm just... It, it just, it's been a long day for me, honey. If not, it's okay. I understand. Babe, babe. You don't have to hit me. Stop hitting me. You don't have to stop hitting me with your machete. <laughs> oh, I get it. I'll clean it up. Oh, that hurts. Oh, now there's blood everywhere. Oh, I guess I'll have to clean that up. Yeah, I'll get that as soon as I'm dead. <laughs> um, the verbal argument began after church on on the date. It says on today's date after 1,200 hours because he told Alyssa she needed to move out. Oh, oh, don't don't tell Satan yeah. she has to move out. Don't tell her she has to move out and then tell her before she moves out she's going to clean up. <laughs> hey, uh, before you go. <laughs> here's here's a fun here's, fact. Here's some clutter. <laughs> here's some clutter. Yeah. Clean that up. Move out. And oh, put that away. Um, reports state that after church, Alyssa told witnesses that she was going to kill the victim. So, yeah, she went to church and said, oh, by the way, he's making me move out. Uh, Praise be to the Lord. I'm going to kill his ass. She obviously has got this whole uh, confession thing backwards. Yeah. yeah, You don't confess and then go do it. Right. You do it, Mm -hmm. then go to church Mm -hmm. to confess. Right. That's how it works. Yeah, so, well, that, theoretically, although really you shouldn't commit the crime knowingly and then confess. You should probably you should probably ask the Lord to forgive the sins in your heart for thinking about it and then not do it. Well, I agree with that, but I'm just yeah. saying if if she's going to do it, yeah. She's got to flip it. Right. Right. <laughs> Turn her around, flip it about and her, reverse it. I don't it. think she's worried about her eternal soul right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Turn around, flip it and reverse it like like Missy Elliott. Um, witnesses observe that or say that Alyssa grabbed a machete and came back out into the living room. She then began striking the victim in the head with that said machete in self-defense. Uh, the victim curled up in a ball and said, owie, owie, owie. No, uh, in self-defense, the victim raised his, it says just raised his up to block the machete. I think I said I'm his assuming arm. arm. Yeah. yeah. Bad writing. Uh, raised his arm up to block the machete from striking his head and as a result was cut several times on his arms. Witnesses immediately called 911, but when Alyssa saw them on the phone with dispatchers, she held the machete up towards them, stepped over the victim and stated, I will kill you too. <laughs> I imagine it was very Hellboyish. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I imagine her eyes turned red, started shooting beams. Yeah, flames. Yeah, I imagine. You are next. In the name of Satan, I will take you all out (laughs) with me. Uh, EMS arrived after Alyssa left and provided additional medical services. The victim was immediately transported to the hospital due to life-threatening injuries. Doc Canine was contacted to assist with tracking <laughs> Alyssa, who said, Ruh-roh, not me! Um, <laughs> I don't want the machete! <laughs> no machete! No machete! <laughs> Uh, they, the tracking went on Sunday, October 29th, and she was arrested Monday, October 30th, mainly out of fear for the canine. <laughs> yeah. Authorities state that the machete could not be located, uh, probably because the, <laughs> the dog picked it up and ran it to another county first. Just saying. I, I wouldn't deal with it. What if she had it melted down and she's wearing it as a necklace now? It's like <gasps> a reminder. Yeah. With the vial of that guy's blood in it. Another machete story, if you would. Uh, Let's move on as uh, we're running short on time today. A Florida man armed with machete arrested after an alleged stabbing spree through his family's home. Oh, okay. Yes, another machete. All the way through the home. All the way through the home. We go to uh, Brevard County, Florida, uh, where a Florida man who allegedly stabbed two family members in a home near Port St. John was arrested after he was confronted by law enforcement on Tuesday night. The incident happened around 9.57 p.m. when a woman was heard yelling in her bedroom by her daughter. The daughter, along with another family member, went into the bedroom and saw 39-year-old Larry Spear Jr. choking the woman and also stabbing her, according to deputies. At the same time, wow, he's multi well, he, he's ambidextrous. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, can, he can handle both. Uh, Spear then broke an item and struck an, the other family member in the head before walking past them and into a kitchen where he grabbed another knife because, again, ambidextrous. Yeah, he's just grabbing whatever he can to hurt whoever he can. That's right. Deputy said Spear went back into the bedroom and started stabbing the woman again because why not finish the job? Uh, according to deputies, Spear left the home when he realized 911 had been called. Spear was located at a motel in Titusville where he locked himself in a bathroom armed with a machete before being taken into custody. He was arrested for attempted murder, aggravated battery with a deadly weapon, and aggravated battery on a person older than 65. Spear reportedly has been arrested on 15 felony charges in the past, Bruiser. Why is he still free? I don't know. That's so crazy. Because it's Florida. Uh, and has been to prison twice, according yeah, to that. Of course, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's got what we call a record. So, And I'm not talking about the kind you put on a turntable and go, poof, 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 poof. Yeah. And he loves the song, swim, swim, stab, swim, swim, stab. <laughs> yeah, he's got to swim, stab. He's got to move. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's, choke, choke, stab. Choke, choke, stab. He's grab the lamp. Choke, choke, stab, hit. Choke, choke, stab, hit. <laughs> he's got a rhythm. <laughs> uh let's continue uh okay this one's crazy this one was sent to us by a listener uh <laughs> the other ones haven't been crazy. oh they've been crazy but not like this <laughs> this uh this is one of them what you call hearse crimes <laughs> i don't know i i have to put a category to it okay it's one of them what you call hearse crimes and 18 year old Hazelcrest man is charged after a crash with a hearse here's the crazy story we go to Homewood, Illinois. That would terrify me crashing into a hearse. Like, is this a sign? Yeah. Right. Am you I know? am I next? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to screw up your funeral progression, but I'm worried now. <laughs> right. 
A Hazelcrest man has been charged, and Homewood police continue to investigate after a hearse was struck and an occupied casket ejected into traffic <laughs> Friday morning. It's Sorry. not. It, it's bad enough that the victim is dead, but I, makes, I makes another like appearance. A 1980s comedy where like. It's kind of Blues Brotherish, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Where it's just a little fender bender, but the coffin gets launched out at 100 miles an hour. You just hear, woo, boop. In my head, I hear, dun 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 dun. <laughs> I don't know. 18 year old Davion Marlowe was one of three to flee from a car after a stolen Kia was had hit a hearse near 183rd and Kedzie Avenue on Friday morning. This according to Homewood Police. Homewood Police and Fire were called at 8.30 a.m. to 183rd and Kedzie Avenue for a report of a crash. Police learned a silver Kia traveling at a high rate of speed. It had to be if you ejected a hearse, son. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, had struck a white Cadillac hearse. Oh, that's kind of nice. White Cadillac well, most hearse. Cad- most hearses are Cadillacs. I knew that. Yeah, but white? I mean, that's nice. That is nice. That's traveling in style. That is. That really is. It's kind of prom-like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I go to prom now. It's kind of like going to your final reward in a in, in a prom in a prom Cadillac, you know. I don't know. Uh, Homewood police said Friday afternoon that roads were closed in the area while police investigated. Preliminary reports show the Kia reported stolen out of Chicago Heights was traveling eastbound on 183rd when it hit the hearse. A casket containing a deceased person's body was ejected in the crash. Ooh. That's fast. Especially that is very fast. A Kia is essentially a tin can on wheels, right? Oh, yeah. Kias are terrible. So if you hit a beautiful white Cadillac hearse. Which, which are solid. Built like a tank. Yeah. You're going quick. The three occupants of the Kia fled on foot. I'm surprised that they weren't demolished in this deal. Uh, one was located and taken into custody, police said. Marla was later charged with possession of a stolen vehicle, resisting a peace officer. No valid driver's license. There's a shock. No valid insurance. Really? Uh, disobeying a traffic control device and failure to reduce speed to avoid an accident. <laughs> Got to get that last charge. I'm surprised they didn't get desecrating a corpse. True. Like, if the cops wanted to be dicks, they could throw that on there. They could. Because it's not like you can just go around throwing coffins everywhere. <laughs> well, I've tried. It, it failed miserably. <laughs> you've tried. Oh, yeah, you tried. Yeah. Well, now you know you need a Kia. Yeah, that's right. You need a <laughs> Kia to, to accomplish it. The driver of the Cadillac was treated by Homewood Fire Department paramedics and transported to a local hospital. The crash remains under investigation by the Homewood Police Department Criminal Investigations Unit, soon to have their own TV show coming to a, a station near you called HPDCIU. Dun, dun. <laughs> what happened to the dead body? What'd they do with it? That's evidence now, isn't it? Uh, they probably, put that in evidence. They probably they just bag it and put in evidence. Probably just strapped it to a cruiser, took it to the uh, graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it had to get there the rest of the way somehow. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, a couple of quick stories for you that are kind of fun, just fun stories, uh, and don't make any sense. Are you ready for okay. this? A woman who missed her flight ran onto a tarmac to catch a plane in dramatic footage, like it was a (laughs) rom-com. You ready for this? I love him. Please stop the plane. Doesn't work that way. This It's 2023, lady. Can't do that. This one is just plain stupid. Another day, another inconsiderate plane passenger trying to make the friendly skies unfriendly. I know you've run into them, Bruiser, in your travels. Everyone loses common sense when they enter an airport. That's right. 
Uh, this time, a female traveler decided to run onto the airport tarmac in a harebrained attempt to prevent a plane from leaving her behind, as seen in a video causing face palms online. You can watch the video online, by the way. A lady who had missed her flight clearly thought she could still catch it, according to eyewitness Simon Hales, he wrote this in a Facebook post describing the ludicrous incident, no, not the rapper, uh, which occurred <laughs> Wednesday at Canberra Airport in Australia's Majura District. According to Hales, the entitled woman had run past security and down the, onto the tarmac to try and halt a Qantas Link flight departing for Adelaide. In shocking footage, the unidentified bozo can be seen on the runway can't believe they called her a bozo in this article. Um, I didn't call her a bozo, by the way. She's still a bozo. Oh, yeah, I guess. So let's just say the woman could be seen uh, running down the runway. She really think the plane was going to stop? Like, oh, hey, there's Susie. Hold on. We got to hold the plane up. Quick, get her. Call the base or the, the terminal. Get a, one of those stair trucks to come on out. <laughs> she needs to get on. I guess. Uh, she's attempting to fly down the pilot as if she's hailing a cab. So she's like, <laughs> she's doing the wave down like, hey, hey. Are you my Uber? <laughs> if you'll just stop. My, my app says you're my Uber. <laughs> if you'll just stop for a moment, I'll just climb on board and we can get going. Uh, needless to say, bystanders were flabbergasted over the brazen scene, which evoked a character in a romantic comedy trying to prevent their beloved from leaving. She's trying to yell at the pilot. She's trying to get his attention and jump up. It was bizarre, recalled Hale. She's trying to jump up. <laughs> hey, down here. It's like a, isn't it like a 12 to 15 foot jump to get to the, yeah. to the door? Yeah, he's not seeing her. No. That's why you don't run on a tarmac. <laughs> That's right. Uh, people were a bit flat footed. They didn't seem to know what to do, added fellow witness Dennis Bilek. Uh, who filmed the ludicrous incident, we were thinking, is anyone going to stop her? Thankfully, the pilot killed the engine, after which the Australian federal police apprehended the inconsiderate <laughs> traveler. So, no, they don't let you on the plane when you run on the tarmac. Nope, you're, you're, going, you're going someplace, just That's not on right. the plane. No, you're not going on the plane. In this next story, a man steals his co-worker's credit card, and a man who will steal your heart, also a bruiser, bought a pumpkin and beer. Oh, what a nice fella. Yeah. We're going to Florida where this theft um, didn't buy anything too expensive. <laughs> a Chili's restaurant employee, of course, is accused of stealing his co-worker's credit card then using it for Halloween decor and beer, according to a Florida sheriff's office. <laughs> Why not just, hey, man, I'm short cash. Yeah. I need, I need to get a beer and a Halloween pumpkin. Can you help me out? Yeah. Will you float it to me? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure one of the employees here would have done it. Yeah. A Chili's grill and bar employee thought she dropped her wallet in the restaurant parking lot after work one day, but was unable to find it after looking around, according to a November 1st news release from the Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. The employee checked her bank statements after she lost her wallet and saw someone who used her credit card to make multiple purchases. The Sheriff's Office said on October 29th, the employee reported the purchases as fraudulent to the Sheriff's Office, and detectives checked the surveillance footage of the stores where the card was used. In the video footage, they saw a man in a a Chili's baseball cap using the credit card to buy a case of beer and a pumpkin. He didn't even hide the fact he worked at Chili. He was proud he worked at Chili. That's right. Uh, they identified the man as the employee's 39-year-old co-worker. Deputies drove to the man's house and noticed a freshly carved jack-o'-lantern in the front of the house. Yeah, of course. They found the woman's credit cards, driver's license, and other cards inside his wallet. 
probably a bad move. And, yeah. and the co-worker was taken into custody. The pumpkin was collected as evidence, the sheriff's office said. <laughs> it's got to be. Yeah. The co-worker was charged with petty theft, possession of a stolen credit card, and fraud, among other charges. You got to ask, was it worth it? I was going to say, like, in case of beer and a pumpkin, just ask. She'll, she'll probably help you out. That's right. I, I would think she would. Or he was thinking it was a customer and it wouldn't come back. Like, yes, it's gonna. You work at Chili's, man. You you stole. You purchased the stolen items with a Chili's outfit. It's coming back. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, we've got three more stories today. A another Halloween story after Halloween story that ends up being a Halloween story. We love Halloween, okay. so we'll we'll go with it. A homeowner in a haunted house horror. Now, remember remember we were talking about haunt, haunted houses and characters that put their hands on you and you punch them back? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> remember quite a few weeks ago? Oh, yeah. Well, this 20-year-old visitor assaulted a man and said he, was, he thought the victim was a statue. <laughs> so why are you assaulting it? <laughs> he, here's an interesting story. Kind of along the lines that we were talking about when I was a kid. I had a wolf man at the haunted house in Ham Lake. He went, blah, and he grabbed my shoulder, and I turned yeah. around and I hit the guy? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, inside a haunted house on Halloween night, a Florida man dressed as an FBI agent allegedly struck a victim in the face with a BB gun. Although it had nothing to do with what happened to me. Uh, claiming he thought his target was a statue, not a scaring player. He just was okay. being stupid. Yeah. He was like, hey, I'm going to hit the statue and make my friends laugh. Right. The free haunted house was constructed inside the seminal home of the 47-year-old male victim. An advertisement asked, are you brave enough to make it through the manor and get some treats? The property's front lawn was decorated as a makeshift cemetery. Police say that 20-year-old Ingus Schusser, Schusser is his name, hard last name. Entered, <laughs> Ingus. Ingus Schusser. You got it. I'll, I'll show you this. Dingleberry right here. Here he is. Dingus looks like a dingus. He does look like a dingus, doesn't he? Uh, entered the residence wearing an FBI jacket and body armor and carrying an airsoft gun that resembled a Glock pistol. As he moved through the house, Schusser went around a corner to where the victim was standing. While dressed in a costume, the homeowner was not acting as a role player at the time, according to a criminal complaint. The 6'4", 210-pound Schusser, cops say, turned away from the victim and grabbed the airsoft gun from a hip holster. Schusser then allegedly struck the victim with the gun's handle, causing significant injury under the victim's eye. What an asshole. And it was just someone that was just there. They weren't even dressed up. Right? Is that what I'm getting? It was the homeowner wasn't even dressed up. He was just standing there to see what's going on. I Why would you think that was a statue? <laughs> I don't know. Schusser, laughing and not apologetic, told the victim he thought he was a statue. The, vi the defendant then ran out from the home to the victim's front door as the victim followed him to prevent him from leaving. The bloody homeowner was treated at the scene by EMS workers, while Schusser was arrested by sheriff's deputies for aggravated battery and possession of a bulletproof vest during the commission of a felony. The airsoft gun was seized as evidence. Schusser uh, bonded out of custody Wednesday after posting $15,000 on the felony counts. According to jail records, he works for a machinery company and lives about four miles away from the haunted house. Kind of a weird story. It is. like I, he, they didn't, he, There was no reason for him to hit the, the statue. Right. Like in our cases, at least someone grabbed us. You know what I mean? We had, we had right. cause to turn around and hit. Right. Right. 
Okay, two stories left. The last one is a not safe for work story. This one is just plain hilarious. This is, again, a Florida story and a story about why you don't mess with the Florida Highway Patrol. All right. All right. A Florida man on a motorcycle had McLovin plates and he led police on a 110 mile an hour chase. Okay. And he got a little bit of a smart aleck remark from a cop at the end of it. <laughs> I love when they say stuff. I watch it on patrol live and I love when they have the, the crazy wise cracks after a chase. Oh yeah. Here we go. After he was arrested with a broken foot, a trooper told the motorcyclist that when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Exactly. I've heard that before. Yep. <laughs> All right. A man in Florida who allegedly decided to lead police on a high-speed motorcycle chase early Sunday morning ended up in jail with a broken foot. 30-year-old Jesse Rivera was spotted by a trooper on the Gandy Bridge while swerving between vehicles at high speed on his motorcycle around 11.18, I'm sorry, at 1.18 a.m. in uh, Tampa. An arrest report from the Florida Highway Patrol uh, says, according to uh, WFLA News, the Flay, uh, Rivera's motorcycle is said to have had fake plates on it at the time, which read McLovin, a reference to a joke from the movie Superbad. That trooper attempted to stop Rivera, according to an arrest report, but Rivera sped off after turning to see his pursuer. FHP says that an officer with the St. Petersburg Police and a deputy with the Pinellas Sheriff's Department both previously attempted to stop Rivera on Sunday as well, but were unsuccessful before he got on the Gandy Bridge. The FHP trooper then turned off his lights and siren and followed Rivera across the Gandy Bridge until he eventually was spotted again by Rivera at a traffic light. The arrest report went on to say, say Rivera then attempted to take off again but slipped a gear and killed the engine (laughs) all right before Rivera could speed off again FHP says its trooper grabbed him off his motorcycle which caused the vehicle to fall on both Rivera and the trooper (laughs) in a video of the arrest provided by FHP Rivera can be heard complaining about his foot you're on my fucking foot, bro, Rivera <laughs> shouted at the trooper. You're standing on it, to which the trooper shoots back that he isn't. Rivera was taken to the hospital for his broken foot, according to the FHP, but not before he asked to call his mommy. <laughs> I have to call my mom. You hurt my foot. That's right. The trooper allowed Rivera to make the call but not before chiding him for complaining about being arrested. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, the trooper tells Rivera. Rivera was booked into the Hillsborough County Jail on a charge of fleeing law enforcement officers at a high speed that, according to the county sheriff's office, he was released Sunday after posting a surety bond of $7,500. Get off me, bro! (laughs) You know, I love man. them. They, they are clearly the criminals, but they think they're the victim. Like, right. no, man, you yeah. broke the law, dude. That's right. Our final story today, not safe for work. If you're ready, earbuds, kids, or turn your turn your listening device down if you're at work. We'll go in five, four, three, two, one. Here it is. This is disgusting. If you're ready, it's a disgusting story today. Okay. A custodian contaminated school food with personal body fluids and bleach. Yeah, if you're ready for this, if you live in New Jersey, you're probably not eating healthy. No, you're Mm. probably eating 
gross stuff. Yeah. A New Jersey school custodian used bleach and personal body fluids to contaminate food products and utensils intended for elementary school students. They weren't even high school students. Elementary. What a dick. You son of a bitch. 25-year-old Giovanni Impelizzeri, I believe it is. He's just gross. Is facing multiple felony counts after allegedly recording himself performing sexual acts with items from the school. Oh, gosh. Impelizzeri posted extremely disturbing videos to Telegram, prompting several tips to be sent to officials with the Elizabeth F. Moore School in Upper Deerfield. As detailed in shocking probable cause affidavit, videos obtained by the police showed Impelizzeri using various utensils and items from the school to wipe his penis, testicles, and anus. Additionally, he could be seen masturbating and urinating on pillows and kitchen bowls and spraying bleach on cucumbers later served to students. As if that wasn't revolting enough, Impelizzeri allegedly used multiple pieces of bread to wipe his anus and genitals before putting the bread back into the container to be later served to children at the public school. Impellet Zeri has worked for the Upper Deerfield School District since 2019. He is currently locked up in the Cumberland County Jail in advance of a detention hearing. This is what a disgusting fucker in a filter from Snapchat looks like. His face is too wide. It is too well. Well, I think that's the picture itself, but yeah. There you go. So, so his punishment should be he has to literally have everyone he's in a cell block with wipe their ass and their testicles with bread and he has to eat it. Yep. And then on his face, just, just yeah. for fun. Yeah. That'll do it for today's Dumb Crime Stupid Criminals, folks. Um, Bruiser, where are you at this weekend? Uh, I'm actually uh, off this weekend. Uh, I have a big announcement that I'll say on tomorrow's show um, oh, okay. about what's coming up and what I'm getting ready for. Oh, kind of what I'm doing this week. So I told you off air, but yeah. we'll wait, we'll wait tomorrow. We'll let people tune in tomorrow. Okay, for the big announcement. Good, 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 good. Nothing for me this weekend. I'm off on KNSI Radio, so we'll uh, we'll deal with that when we come across it tomorrow. Supernatural news. Got yes. some got some good stories for tomorrow for Supernatural News, and we'll let you know what's coming up on Thursday. We've got a big show on Thursday as well. We'll let you know about that tomorrow. For Beer City Bruiser, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for tuning in today for True Crime Tuesday. Again, we want to remind you, pick up Tess Gerritsen's book. It's a great book. We want to remind you, check that out in the description of this show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday.